One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Match Ball. 30 years on, 30 years to the day we chart our journey from Leeds United's return to the top flight to lifting the championship trophy in 1992 on the Matchball 30. Brought to you with Levi Solicitors. You can claim 10% off your legal fees. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. So we're taking this journey game by game. 30th anniversary today of a match we played against Arsenal at Ellen Road. Off the back of a second round Football League Cup first leg tie. Now back in the olden days, they used to have two legged ties even in the early rounds. And we got Leicester City and we played at Filbert Street on September the 26th. And came away with a 1-0 defeat. But that does not mean we are out of the trophy. You forget these days, don't you, that as much as people complain about the League Cup and to a certain extent the FA Cup and treat it with complete disdain, back in these days, every single round was two legs. It generated some excitement. At least it gave us a second chance. And uh, everybody was quite angry about the way this game had gone. Last time we'd played Leicester, they had tried to prevent us from getting promoted to Elland Road. So we bought Gary McAllister off them and they'd immediately turned to shit. They're still in Division 2 and had lost six games in a row and having demonstrations against the board and all that stuff, which Howard Wilkinson, as wise as ever, did say that that kind of thing tends to spur people on. But he seemed more miffed about how Leeds played and ended up locked them in the dressing room for half an hour. 1-0 defeat, we went down to a penalty by David Kelly, which happened after Gary Speed fouled Gary Mills um, in front of a crowd of just over 13,500. But Bill Fotherby said he's going to cut ticket prices for the second leg uh, in a week or two in order to get a big crowd in. And, you know, there's, there's a European place up for grabs as well at the end of this. Well, not necessarily. There was lots of argument at this point about what European places would be available, but whether there, it would be top three or top four or whether you could get in through the League Cup or just the FA Cup because we'd only just as a nation been allowed back into European competitions after the Heysel ban. So it was still very vague, but Fotherby had an eye on Europe and that there could be a, a place up for grabs if we won the League Cup. And so, yeah, to get people in to the second leg, make sure there's no lack of interest, cut the second the, the ticket prices and get a big crowd it needed um it needed something to turn it around wilkinson's comments after this game he said that it was uh, the performance was strange and bizarre and i really don't know why that should be so not the ideal preparation for playing uh arsenal not least because uh mike whitlow had to leave this game halfway through with concussion so wasn't available to face the mighty arsenal even so, good to set the tone for disappointing League Cup games at 
Filbert Street. We had a few of those over the years, didn't we? It did feel like we played them every year, I think, uh, for about a decade or thereabouts in the League Cup. But uh, to the league and matters at hand and back to Ellen Road and a massive test against Arsenal, who at this stage were unbeaten. And very good. They'd uh, been close to Liverpool, who were the champions the season before. And obviously it had been often between Liverpool and Arsenal for the, the title over the previous years. Absolute peak. George Graham, although... How he managed to get a, a team playing well with the likes of Perry Groves and Siggy Jensen came into for this game is a strange one. But they always had players around like Anders Limpar and David Rocastle, of course, who had touches of class about them and a, a young Paul Merson in their side as well. Let's run through these lineups then. Lukic in goal, Sterling, Haddock, Batty, Fairclough, White, Strachan, Pearson and Chapman. The two that are up front with McAllister and Snodden completing the lineup. So it was slightly tweaked for this game with the two big men up front. And no Gary Speed either on the bench. It gets forgotten sometimes. He's uh, he's quite new to the lineup at this point. It was only the the second half of the promotion season that he sort of became a first team player at Leeds. So the early days of the first division, and I don't know if it's because we're up against such a stern opponent, Wilkinson decided to leave him on the bench for this one and go with Glyn Snodden with the, his mullet in full flight. But the um, the big front two, possibly a, a way of going up against what is a, I mean, it's an absolute classic defence for Arsenal. Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, and then the centre-half, Steve Bold and Tony Adams. They did not even, uh, Martin Keown was Everton at this point and David O'Leary, I assume, is out of the team. But um Going with big lads against big lads, that's football, that's how it should be played. And we had an early goal to cheer at the start. Leeds pretty rampant considering we're up against such a formidable team. I mean, Moscow mentioned the uh, Snodding's hair in full flight there and the way you can see it bobbing around his shoulders as he plays a part in this goal is a a wonderful thing. I think it's um, Jim Rosenthal again on the commentary trying to give this as an own goal, but we're giving this to Chapman, aren't we? It's a it's an absolutely classic Chapman goal from a yard. I thought, um, but I'd yeah, say, I'd say a yard is generous. I'd say it's, you, you're talking in well, probably inches back those days. Every uh, every source you look at though seems to think this was Steve Bold's goal, and uh, I don't think that's fair. But it's um, yeah, we started really strongly in this game, and uh, you can sort of see what's uh, what's going on when Snodden is fighting for the ball in in midfield. Um, after a classic Chapman knockdown and winning it. Nobody to run onto the knockdowns, though. There's John Pearson next to him. How does this work? Well, I mean, that's where uh, Snodding comes in and you can see the. Uh, there's a beautiful moment in the celebrations where Gary McAllister, who gets the ball from Snodding down the left and crosses to whichever one of his massive six-footers are standing next to each other in the box, Puts in a low cross, but, you know, that's beside the point. But McAllister then runs to Snodden and the two of them have a little cuddle while everyone else is celebrating in front of the cop. But it's not to last because Arsenal equalise before half-time and not without some controversy, this one. I mean, watching it back, I think it seems to me like the correct decision has been made because the the final ball does definitely go off David Batty, so therefore Limpar is onside. But there's some stuff after the game said that the flag had gone up before then, so there was something in the build-up. And and also in those days, it was not the kind of... Uh, offside rule wasn't quite as complicated as it is now with people interfering and not interfering. If the flag went up, it was basically offside. 
apart from in a, a couple of um, notable examples of Leeds games. Just for the benefit of the listener then, how did this one unfold? Arsenal basically have the ball about 30, 35 yards from our goal and Batty's chasing and tackles. But when he gets one of the tackles in, he inadvertently plays it absolutely beautifully weighted through ball to Anders Limpire, who then finishes nicely down past Lukic's right. He goes around, uh, sort of around Lukic and slots it in still. And there's two kind of ways people thought the goal might be legal. Is either David Batty playing that pass or some form of Sterling putting it over the line a little like it is a little bit unfair actually if Chapman couldn't have the goal I think Sterling possibly puts this in from an inch as he's trying to uh, clear it off the line as he slide he, he sort of slides in and he's he's right on the chalk as the the ball is over so you could take it away from Anders Limpar and give it to the flying pig I mean the big issue was that there's a, a linesman standing on the side with his flag up and so it's offside. Everybody says, well, linesman's flag up, give it offside, ref, blow your whistle. But the uh, the counter argument to that again is that nobody actually stops. Well, not nobody, because um, reading the report, the Don Waters in the YEP did make a, a big point about how you've got to play to the whistle. But the key people involved, Limpar plays on, goes around Lukic, Sterland is still there trying to get the ball off the line. I don't think anybody else really involved in the goal could have had any influence. It's annoying because the first half from Leeds in this match was brilliant, even though, you know, it's Arsenal and we've lost to Leicester and their, um, yeah, Arsenal's record so far this season was 1-4, drawn 2, they'd scored 12, conceded 3. So they're very, very good and we'd absolutely battered them, got an eight-minute lead, and to lose a goal like this just before half time, you kind of you worry about how we're going to take it and carry on. I think if only Sterling had had a bit more of a run up because we've discussed his uh, physical presence before, and he is fairly quick once he gets going. But I think he generally starts in a fullback position, and by the time he reaches their box, he's he's sort of up to full speed, but he just doesn't have the acceleration to get himself to this ball. Because I keep thinking he's gonna when you're watching it, you think he's he's just gonna hook his foot around this and get it off the line, but. Not quite to be for him. It's a good attempt. It's a, you know, you can't fault his dedication. It's like a freight train, isn't it? It takes a bit of time to to chug into action. Well, half-time 1-1 then, and Arsenal straight back on it early in the second half. And it's that man, Anders Limpar, again, after 50 minutes. He was he was deadly this season. And I remember being in Ellen Road and still having that kind of new promotion vibe about it when you're just adjusting to the division and getting used to it and being terrified of Limpar because he was so quick. Lucky goal, though. Are we having? It's, I mean, it's a nice ball forward from Dixon from fullback, big diagonal ball. Then Merson, he is admittedly trying to find Limpar, but then it deflects off Fairclough's knee on the way and it just drops probably into a more perfect spot than Merson was actually going to put it in. And it's, I mean, it's a good finish still down to Tempas Lukic's left, but it's, uh, it's a bit fortunate, I would say, the way it actually falls to him. It is that middle bit where um, Merson's pass bounces off Fairclough. That's where you'd, you'd hope it would all stop but the bits either side of that uh, Lee Dixon starts with uh, he's in his right back position knocks the ball backwards over his and Glyn Snodden's head and then um, I mean it's a lucky pass no it's a great ball forward into the path of Merson and I know it's a goal against Leeds but you can't really fault Anders Limpar's finish especially after that deflection off Fairclough's leg it kind of instead of going into his path 
it drops behind him. So he has to kind of turn around, look to see where it's gone. And it's a really snappy volley straight past John Lukic, who obviously Lukic is playing against the team and the manager who sold him so that David Seaman, who had been his uh, understudy at Leeds a decade earlier, could take his place. So um, him and Chris White, who's the other central defender apart from Fairclough, both ex-Arsenal players, both uh, looking at Anders Limpar, pissed off, I'd imagine. And I think five minutes after half-time as well, after such a good first half, annoying. But the kind of thing that teams like Arsenal that win the league all the time do. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Staring down the barrel a little bit, but we weren't done yet because this was a Leeds United side with a great deal of resilience and Arsenal took the lead on the 50th minute. 76 minutes, we drew level again. I think the foul that occurs to give us the penalty here actually happens in the minute before it and then Gary Mack goes down sometime afterwards. I think it is a foul because no one really, no one close to it really complains. I think it's Lee Dixon goes over to the ref to have a, a bit of a go at him. But I'm not sure... It actually knocks him down when he goes down. I was going to say, when we're talking about Leeds United's resilience, um, McAllister hasn't necessarily shown much of it here as he seems to get blown over by a stiff wind in the penalty area. <laughs> the uh, it's, I think it was officially a, a shirt tug. Um, I think it's Steve Bold. As, uh, it's great play by Leeds. You can see our attacking in this moment because we've got Strachan, who is technically our right winger, is just outside the box. McAllister from central midfield is running past him and it's the classic big long ball from Lukic. Unless you watch Leeds a lot, you you don't understand those Lukic long balls to Chapman are not random. They are scientifically and artistically placed onto his big bounce and his headers down are absolutely deadly. And that's why there's that panic from Bold where he, he ends up fouling McAllister, whether it's a a hard foul or not, but we are in a situation where, yeah, our central midfielder is running through onto this knockdown and getting into the box where Arsenal don't want him to be. From the spot then, Strack strokes home the equaliser 2-2 and I think we're happy with that. 
um, when it comes to the reckoning. 2-2 against Arsenal, so far unbeaten. We've done all right there. Kicking it hard into the corner. That's how you do penalties. Even against the uh, England goalkeeper in waiting, who uh, obviously he's the, the most expensive goalkeeper in the country at this point. I think he was 1.3 million was David Seaman. And we'd paid a million for Lukic. And obviously Nigel Martin was uh, a million pound before either of them. So there is still a question, you know, 12 yards out and Strachan's got a deadly right foot, but he's still up against a very good goalkeeper who does uh, this kind of little shuffling of his legs and pulling his shorts up to try and uh, put Strachan off. But doesn't work in the corner. And yeah, the we are still at this point a team fresh out of Division 2 and playing so far Scum, Spurs, who are title contenders, then Arsenal, who are absolutely just a machine at this point. I fancy them to win it, you know, to be honest. I mean, they've got a, a good chance, but here we are in our uh, our early days in the division against a team that hasn't lost a game, taking a point off them. And uh, even at Elland Road, you'd be happy to take that. I'm not sure Arsenal will win it, to be perfectly honest, Michael, because look at Liverpool there, played 7-1-7 seven, because seven, they beat Sunderland today away up in the northeast. So that's 21 points out of 21 plus 12 goal difference. You've got Arsenal, Spurs and Palace all having won four and drawn three. So they're a good six points off the pace. I think it's already a done deal, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to see anyone breaking Liverpool's dominance for the next couple of decades, isn't it? But you never know, Arsenal might do it. Or maybe it'll be Spurs. Meanwhile, we're sat in seventh position here on 11 points. So we're just on the coattails of the sort of top four or five. Luton, inexplicably, in, uh, in fifth position. Luton have stepped into the wrong division there, surely. Well, I mean, there's Nottingham Forest and QPR sniffing around scum who are just behind us as well. It's a, it's a very different looking top of the division. But um, our place up there, well earned. And Wilkinson kind of made the point where we're making in his post-match press conference where, I mean, bearing in mind he'd have them all locked in a dressing room in Filbert Street in uh, in midweek, calling them strange and bizarre and saying he didn't know what was up with them all. Turned it round by the weekend and he said that... Uh, over the last four years, Arsenal have provided the main challenge to Liverpool. In my view, they represented the sternest test so far. Yet overall, the draw was well-deserved and we could even make out a very strong case for having deserved to win. Not I thought we deserved to win. We could make out a strong case for it, potentially. Maybe, if you consider the evidence. He, he likes to build tension into his sentences, does Wilco. Those bastards in London, they didn't like us at all. If you remember that um, report from the West Ham game the previous year when uh, when their poor little uh, bubbly darlings, we'd been we'd gone and kicked them a little bit and uh, you wouldn't expect any love at all from them in this, but they were actually quite complimentary about us. Yeah, that West Ham game was uh, kind of seminal. It wasn't just one re- report from the London press. We went to Upton Park in the early days of Vinny and the early days of the promotion season and because... It was uh, there was an England international coming up. There was no first division football that weekend, so all the lo- the London journalists went to Upton Park to watch Leeds and hated absolutely everything about us and said so and tore them apart and said that you know we were a disgrace to football and that, you know all the worst parts of the Riviera were back and um, that all we did was play offside and it was miserable anti-football stuff. This time, however. They'd, uh, they'd come up to see us play Arsenal and um, gushing 
powerful evidence that this is a team with the legs and the leadership to join England's Super League, playing at a pace that made the Tokyo rush hour look like a stroll in the park. Leeds threatened to blow Arsenal back down the M1. And we've got more firepower with which to do that now because look who's back, back again. Good old Carl Schutz. I love Carl Schutz. He'd, um, he'd been on loan to Malmo. And the, the funny thing about it is uh, he'd kind of gone there for fitness and to sort of get some form back. But um, the Malmo loan, if anybody out there listening to this has a photograph of Carl Schutt playing for Malmo, I have spent time looking for it before. But um, I think he only played half a game because all the other strikers, um, as soon as Carl Schutt turned up, they scored 10 goals in three games and went 10 games unbeaten. As, this is from Schutt's uh, comments, was one of the strikers that he'd been brought in to replace, scored three hat-tricks. So he says, um, I suppose you could say my presence there had the desired effect. <laughs> All he did was just train and played for half an hour and learn a bit of Swedish. It's a little bit like John Kevin Augustan trying to claim credit for our promotion last year, essentially. He's come in and gone, well, did you go up? Yes, you did. Thank you very much. Where's my check? But so he's come back and um, we've also got a, a Tunisian international 24-year-old Farouri Rusi due for a two-week trial. Because although we had, you know, we praised Lee Chapman's uh, knockdowns and John Pearson's obviously kept his league place. Um, Verardi started again in the League Cup, but then uh, Pearson came on for him and played against Arsenal. Because of that goal being given to Steve Bold, neither of our strikers scored again. So there's still... You know, Dean Saunders is still in the mix and uh, can we bring Carl Schott and put him in? Um, Bobby Davison's still injured. Ali McCoist is linked. Bernie Slaven, Robert Flecker we've talked about before. Mo Johnston. Basically, name a striker and Wilkinson is supposed to be after him. Well, with my extensive knowledge of Tunisian football in the early 90s, I would like to let you know it's Fauzi. Uh, it's a Z, not an R, not Fauri. It's Fauzi uh-huh. Rawisi. I'm, I mean, I'm purely going off what's printed in the evening paper. There's no other way of getting any information at this point. I I don't know how you've, uh, if if it wasn't for you being, keeping you a careful eye on Tunisian football. In the early 90s. In the early 90s. Write a letter into the Yorkshire Evening Post and uh, and let them let them know. Dan's man in Tunisia was sending him all sorts of clippings at this point. I mean, how do you how do you think Club Africa are going to cope with his departure if he does leave? Is anyone in the youth team you think can step up? Well, I'm not sure, but I do like the fact that I mean, fans of Leeds will obviously see the link here. But he ended up at Groyth the Firth um, around the turn of um, turn of the millennium, and nearly a one in two man bagsman, um, forty appearances and seventeen goals, so he did all right. It's not bad. He was fairly well travelled actually, wasn't he? Went to went to France, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, Germany. And kept going back to his, I think, Club Africain where he started and he, obviously his first love, he couldn't, couldn't resist him, could he? he? had three spells there. I'm sure his two weeks on trial at Leeds United were probably the the highlight, having McKennig and Howard Wilkinson's assistant yelling at him. There's a there's a, a nice little note in the paper in the days following this match. It was Mel Sterling's birthday and um, so McKennig worked him even harder. He said, uh, the only difference between him and the other lads, I don't care if it's his birthday, the only difference is he's a year older than them, so he needs to work harder and um, needs to remember that hard work is good for the soul as well as the body. Just to close things out on uh, Fauzi Ruisi, he was a full Tunisian international and he 
appeared 42 times for the Tunisian national team. Scored 18 goals, so again, sort of one in two. But it's just funny to think, isn't it, that sort of 30 years ago, you'd have these players in on trial for a couple of weeks, and like, mm, maybe. And actually now when you see the global way that football has gone, this guy would have been picked up ages ago. A trial, I think, would be considered quite an insult these days, wouldn't it? To, well, we need to have a look at you first. We need to know what we're getting. Although, again, to, to mention uh, Jean-Kevin Augustin, as I did earlier, uh, maybe maybe a little two-week trial there would have saved us 20 million quid. 1990, though, there's no YouTube, there's no clips going around. There might be a few VHS tapes going here and there, but if you want to actually see a player, you do actually have to get them down and look at them, don't you? Oh, I'll mix taped over it. Mixed tape, buddy. Tape crossroads over it, for Christ's sake. There's, yeah, there's no YouTube uh, compilations with dubstep on them at this point, is there, God? And from the highs and beauty, the stunning surroundings of Ellen Road, we are made to go to Croydon ugh, in early October and face Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. That's on October the 6th, so we'll catch up with you there. See you in a bit. Bye-bye. The Match Ball. 